Oh, what a sweet morning it is, brothers and sisters, when we get to come together and uh, partake of the Lord's table. Uh, what a great reminder it is uh, from Pastor Thomas just that no matter what takes place, we have a king who is always on his throne. Uh, may we receive great comfort in that. Well, this morning we have a an opportunity to kind of pause on our, our series on the social justice revolution. And although we technically are pausing, it doesn't feel like we are, as one of the things that Thomas has been speaking about over the past couple of weeks is how important it is that no matter what takes place, that we remain rooted in the Word of God, that that be our ultimate source of authority. And the reason I say it doesn't feel like we're going to be really taking a pause is because this morning our message is going to be focused on the Word of God and the reason for which we must pay attention. And so this morning, if you would, open your Bibles and turn with me to Second Peter, where we'll be in chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. And as you turn there this morning, I thought it would be fitting to start with a bit of a story for you. So imagine this with me, if you will. There was a man who, with his family, had had a tough year. There was a lot of unforeseen circumstances that happened. Okay, I hope you're already ready, able to track with me just with that. Uh, and they thought, what better way to end their year than to go away on a vacation together. And so the husband and father, being excited for this vacation with his family, he, he got everything prepared. He knew that they were going to go from Boise, Idaho, and they wanted to make their way over to Long Beach, Washington, to meet some friends for a week together. And so as that man was getting ready for their trip, he did everything possible to make sure nothing would go wrong. He was a planner like I'm sure many of you can identify with. And so he, he made sure he got the car checked out, got the oil changed, got the pre-trip safety inspection done. He went to the store. He bought some blankets in case their car happened to break down while they were going over the Blues Pass. He got a set of chains so the car wouldn't have any issues getting over the pass. And... Because their vehicle didn't have GPS, he purchased a new map. And so his planning was completed, and the day finally came when it was time for their trip. All the kids were excited. They were in their travel day garb of sweatshirts and sweatpants to stay comfy in the car. And the, the car was packed. The luggage was in there. The audiobook was queued up and ready to go. And the all-important snacks for the day were prepared. Uh, but above all else, they made sure and had that map ready. And the husband knew as he was planning that it was pretty easy to get from here to Long Beach, Washington. He just had to hop on the 84 and head west. And when he had gone about six and a half hours, he would have to pull out that map and plot the rest of their journey when they got to the Oregon-Washington border. And so the family set off on this adventure together. And the husband felt very, very confident. Until they hit that six and a half hour mark where they realized they could no longer just head west and still get to their destination. And so the husband played out that scene that many of us men really shudder when we think about, which is he had to pull over. He had to get out of the car with his map, spread it out on the hood of the car, and figure out where they were going because he knew already that he was lost. And after about 10 minutes of him fussing with the map, his wife who was sitting in the car could tell that he was incredibly frustrated. And without saying anything, he crumpled the map up, folded it back together, and got in the car, slammed the door, and off they went Again, except this time the wife noticed that they weren't heading in any particular direction, right? There was a lot of turns this way and that, and then after making a turn, husband muttering something under his breath and turning back the way they had just come. And after about an hour of doing this, the, hu the husband heard from his wife, maybe we should stop and ask for directions. 
And so the husband reluctantly agreed uh, after muttering some other things under his breath, and they found the nearest gas station. He opened the door, slammed it as he walked away in a huff, and no sooner had the husband left the car when the wife reached over and grabbed that map and realized why they would never make it to their desired destination. Because he had bought the wrong map. Somehow, in looking for Long Beach, he had purchased a very zoomed-in, detailed map of some of the biggest cities of California. They would never make it to their desired destination, even though they had that map. Now, even though this story that I paint for you this morning is, is one that's completely fictional, I'm sure none of you can relate to any of that, uh, I tell you this because this is a very familiar issue to many people in our culture today. And by this, I don't just mean men who get lost and need to ask for directions. Yes, that happens plenty. But what I mean is that we live in a time where people are choosing a different map. They're choosing a different way of getting directions to their desired destination. There may be a man who wants to live what's considered a happy life, and so his way of getting there is by seeking to indulge his every pleasure every single day. Or there may be the the woman who desires to have that perfect marriage. And as she seeks to do that, she goes to a counselor who himself has been divorced multiple times. Or maybe even the Christian who desires one day to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. But their way of getting to that point is wholly relying on their spiritual and personal experience and that of others. That is their ultimate authority. Today, as we're in Second Peter, he's going to show us that just because you have a map doesn't mean you're going to get to your desired destination. You're not going to always make it to the right destination. And throughout Peter's second letter, we're going to see that he's facing a great battle in his final days. He mentions that my days are few. And we see some of the things that he faces in in chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. He shows us that there are characteristics such as virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love which Peter desires for his brothers and sisters to add to their faith, to put on as a supplement to their faith. And second, we see Peter is also seeking to prepare the believers for the false teachers who are already in the church and those whom he knows his beloved little Christians will face in days to come. And then third, perhaps most importantly, Peter calls his fellow believers to hold fast to the word of God as their guiding light, knowing that this is the map they have been given, and it is the only one that will get them to the correct destination. This morning, as we walk through the six verses of 16 through 21, We're going to see in this session entitled, Follow the Light, that Peter shares some assertions with us, explaining why the Word of God is the only guiding light worth following. And then we will also ask ourselves, why is this so? Why is the Word of God the only guiding light, the only map worth following? And we will actually see clearly that Peter's answer to this question is going to be threefold today. First, we will know that God's word is an assured source of light. Second, that God's word is an authoritative source of light. And third, that God's word 
is a light source to act upon. And if you haven't already, be sure you're in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. And let's read together now. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. First, we see that God's Word is an assured source of light. And at the very beginning of our passage for this morning, we're going to see that Paul begins by presenting us with a contrast. He's going to first say what they did not do and follow up clearly with what they did, in fact, do. And so first he says, we, here being the apostles, we, the ones who have passed down to you the teachings that you have heard. So we are the ones who have passed down to you the teachings that you have heard. And when we passed down all that you have learned about Christ, when we gave you all the teachings we received and that you received, we were not just following myths or legends. And the language that Peter utilizes in this passage is very intentional because when he speaks of these things such as myths or of legends, he chooses to use the same terminology that we're going to see Paul use in places such as 1 Timothy 1.4 and 4.7, where Timothy is told to have nothing to do with godless myths or tales. And so Peter, right off the bat, is going to seek to set apart the teaching of the apostles, that which has been taught to these believers, saying, what we taught you is not a myth. It is not a legend, or in essence here saying, what we taught you is not false. What it says here in, in 1 Timothy 4, 7 It says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. What Paul is saying there is, have nothing to do with that which is false. Rather, train yourself in that which is true. And so similarly to Paul, Peter now uses nearly identical language when he says, we did not teach that which was false. Rather, we were eyewitnesses. In other years, we didn't teach you what was false, brothers and sisters. And let me share with you how I know what we taught you was true. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And, and now Peter, continuing on, seeking to prove that claim that he has just made, brings in another we, He says, we, now referring to Peter, James, and John, we were eyewitnesses. And as a way of proving this assertion, Peter is going to direct us all the way back to the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 17, if you want to turn there with me now, and I I want to read for us what this event that they are talking about is in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. 
It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them of John the Baptist. So what we see taking place now back in in 2 Peter is that he gives a summary of all that we have just read where there's so much packed into there and he summarizes it down into two verses. And he does so with the main point being, we were there. We know what took place. We saw what happened. We experienced this firsthand. When Jesus' face shone like the sun, we were there. When his clothes became white as light, we were there. And when Jesus received honor and glory from the Father, we were there. And in explaining why Peter shares this story of the transfiguration, uh, author Kevin DeYoung explains it this way. He says, Peter wants everyone to know that the Jesus story, the transfiguration primarily, but presumably also the rest of the gospel story he has passed down, is in the category of historical, verifiable fact. Not impressions or inner experiences or stories invented to make a point. Peter wants his audience to know that that which they have been taught is reliable. He and the apostles were there, not just for the transfiguration, but, but there are eyewitness and firsthand accounts of the ministry of Jesus Christ. There are eyewitnesses' accounts that, that give the believer in that time confidence that all they knew about the message of the gospel was absolutely true. But as we, as we work through this this morning and as you sit there, you may be asking yourself, okay, the first point is that God's word is an assured source of light, and we haven't even gotten to the part of talking about God's word yet. And I promise that we'll, we'll get there, because right now we're focusing on those eyewitnesses and those testimonies. But, but Peter's main focus here is not just that story, but it, it's going to come from, for this section in the first portion of verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter uses this we yet again now for the third time, exclaiming to his fellow believers, you have the prophetic word. We have the prophetic word. All believers have the prophetic word, not just, not just referring to the books of the prophets but referring to the whole of the Old Testament. And then, now for us, by implication, the whole of the New Testament. 
And though some, when interpreting this passage, may suggest that, that when Peter talks about the Scriptures being even more sure, they believe that he's talking about, oh, our, our eyewitness accounts confirms what Scripture already says. And, and I would argue this morning that I don't think that's the case. Because if you were to break this down into the original language, the ordering of the words is very intentional. And the way the words are ordered should be, and we have more sure the prophetic word. We have more sure the prophetic word. Clearly indicating here that the Holy Scripture, that the word of God is an assured source of light. Even more sure than the personal experiences of the one from who you may want to receive counsel. Even more sure than your own personal spiritual experience is the very Word of God. Now over the years, there's been a phenomena that has gathered increased exposure called the Mandela Effect. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, but it's, it's named after Nelson Mandela, who died in 2013. But for some reason, numerous people seem to recall him dying while in prison in the 1980s. So there's a misremembering of something that has taken place. Or maybe for those of you who uh, either heard these stories as a kid or read them to your children as a kid, there was these stories called the, uh, the Berenstein Bears. And I clearly remember it being Berenstein, S-T-E-I-N, but in reality it has always been Berenstain, S-T-A-I-N. Or there's the ever-controversial topic of peanut butter. There is Jif or Jiffy peanut butter. Many people remember it being Jiffy, but it is and has always been Jiffy. Or what about this one? This one I had no idea about, and that was... How many of you would admit to using Febreze? Nobody? Okay, I'll just put my hand up. Okay, I got one person, two people. All right. But how many of you realized when using it that it's spelled F-E-B-R-E-Z-E? There's no two, there's no double E's in the middle. Or perhaps the one that we have to land on, I feel, is one of cinema's most iconic scenes with Darth Vader and Luke. And as he's revealing himself to Luke, everybody would swear that the line is, Luke, I am your father. But in reality, the line is just, I am your father. For so many of us, even some of you probably now, we can be so sure of what we thought our personal experience was. And we can still be wrong. Peter lays before us the profound point of the assurance of God's word so that way we may know there is one true source of revelation that will never be wrong. It can never be wrong because it is the word of God. With the word of God, there is no contradiction. There is no error, no falsehoods at all. So first, this morning, we see when answering the question, why should we follow the guiding light of God's word? We see Peter simply exclaims, because God's word is an assured source of light. Second, we will see that God's word is an authoritative source of light. And you'll see that in, uh, specifically in verses 20 and 21. And so think with me, so far this morning we've answered the why should we, as we're seeking to answer why should we follow the guiding light of God's word, we've answered, if you will, the what when we're answering this question. He has told us that we have an assured source of light, and now he's essentially going to go on answering the all-important question of why. So he's given us the what, and now he's going to expound upon the why, answering for the audience, the unasked question of why is God's word an assured source of light? And so verses 20 and 21 give us that why. And, and it's worth noting for each of us here this morning to remember that up to this point, 
in church history, though the word of God was heavily relied upon, much that was known about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was passed down by those who experienced firsthand. And, and there seems to be this transition now in talking about the authority of the written word of God. And though the Lord has used that method to grow his church, he used the, the verbal passing down of what has taken place to grow the church. Peter tells us we have something now even more sure than personal firsthand experience, and that is all of Scripture. And why is it that the Word of God is something that is more sure? And I would say very simply, because it comes from God, and it doesn't come from man. Peter emphatically highlights the, the authority of God's Word by presenting us once again with this contrast in verses 20 and 21. We see first it says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's interpretation, for no interpretation was ever produced by the will of man. And second, or rather, men spoke from God. This is the, the truest and fullest reason Peter gives to his beloved brothers and sisters as to why the Scriptures are even more sure than the personal testimony or experience of, of the apostles or anybody for that matter. Because God is the author of all of Scripture. And, and what do we know about the Lord? We know that He's perfectly holy. Many of you will know this from memorizing the, the presentation of the Gospel, Matthew 5.48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Or perhaps think back to what we read just a few months ago in 1 John in chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God is perfect. God is holy. He cannot and does not ever make mistakes. For if He did, He would not be perfect. And if the Scripture is the very Word of God, which we've been told in multiple places it is, such as Hebrews 4.12, you know, the Word of God is living and active. Psalm 119.105, the Word of God is a light unto your path. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Scripture is breathed out by God. If we know it has been given us by God, we should know that the Holy Scriptures have the very authority of our Lord and Savior. And as such, this means they are perfect. They are without error. They are sufficient, clear, authoritative, and absolutely necessary. Yet on the other hand, what do we know about mankind? Man is not perfect. Man is not righteous. Rather, man has fallen short of the glory that God has called him to. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. And then later in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So then who or what should be our ultimate authority? Should it be the one that is fallible? The one that is able to err and often makes mistakes? Or... Should it be the one that never makes a mistake? Should it be that guiding light, the one that should inform every single aspect of our lives, the one that should inform what we believe, should inform what we feel and what we do? Brothers and sisters, that has to be the Word of God, and it can never be anything else. We see a great example of this in Scripture. If you wanted to, to go over to Acts 17, 
There's just a beautiful illustration of trusting in the authority of God's word. And, and you will read, if you will, a tale of two cities. You'll see in verses 1 through 15 that we're going to address two different areas who have received the same message but respond very differently. First, we're going to see Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. They went in and they reasoned in the synagogue with many people there from Scripture. And we're told that Paul explains why it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to die what they heard They were angered and they were outraged because of what they had heard. It even says, if you look in verse 5, that they created an uproar in the city because they were so upset about what Paul and Silas had been teaching. But then second, we see a contrast of what takes place with Paul and Silas in Berea. Now, likely because of the uproar we see in verse 10 that, that the, the fellow brothers told Paul and Silas, okay, you got to get out of here uh, for your own safety. Go somewhere else. So they are sent away, and they are sent immediately from Thessalonica to Berea. And Paul and Silas do exactly the same thing that they just did in Thessalonica. They arrive, they go into the synagogue, And here's where we see the greatest contrast. If you zero in on verse 11, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. So the very message that had whipped so many of the Jews in Thessalonica into a frenzy here is received, does very well, with all eagerness. But you'll notice that it doesn't stop there. They didn't just receive the message with eagerness. They tested everything they heard against the Word of God. And why is this? It's because that was their ultimate authority. The Thessalonians, again, responded in outrage. They didn't like what they were hearing. Their ultimate authority was their traditions and, plain and simple, themselves. They were their own ultimate authority. They decided they didn't like what they heard, and so they chose to become outraged. Paul and Silas didn't make them outraged. They chose to become outraged. Yet we see the faithful Bereans. They seemed to love what they heard Paul and Silas teaching. But the great thing is that they didn't just take what they heard and then say, awesome, this confirms everything I thought. I love this. I'm just going to run with this. But they even took the message that sounded pleasing to their ears, and they tested that message against the word of God. Even though they liked what they were being taught, they still knew they needed to go back to their ultimate authority, which was the Word of God. Friends, this should lead us to the question of what's our ultimate authority? In life, when we make our decisions, are we simply acting on our thoughts, on our desires, and on our emotions? Are we simply feeling and then acting? Or are we willing to submit to the Word of God no matter what it says? Are we willing to follow the direction of the Holy Scriptures even when it contradicts how we feel? Fellow Christians, I would say that we must recognize And we must proclaim the authority of God's word. Because if we ever have any authority based in humanity, it will at one point fail. The only one that will not fail, that will not err, is the word of God. Because the Lord is perfectly holy. He is righteous He is just, and He is without 
air. God's word is indeed an authoritative source of light. And third and finally this morning, we see that that the word of God is a light source to act upon. Now, some of you likely noticed earlier that we were skipping past part of verse 19. And and I promise it's not because I was trying to punt it to a later time when Thomas would address it, because it's hard to talk about. But it's because it's so important that we camp on the last portion of 19 for a little bit this morning. We've already seen the what. Peter's answered the what. He's answered the why. And now regarding the word of God, he is helping us end with the so what, or the now what. What are you to do with what you have now learned, faithful Christian? Simply put, the main point that Peter is seeming, seemingly making right here is that, hey, hold fast to the guiding light. Hold fast And Peter emphasizes the necessity of holding fast to the guiding light by by painting for us a picture. He does a great job of painting this vivid picture for us of how things are now and how they will be someday. We're told, as as Peter emphasizes, that we, we need to hold fast to this lamp, to the Word, while you're in like a light shining in the darkness, because we are currently in a dark, dark place. But praise the Lord, this will not always be so. At one point, we're told, the day will dawn, the morning star, or the morning star will rise in our hearts. And now at this point, I expect that many of us are kind of like looking down at their Bibles, looking back up, being like, okay, we got, we got to the confusing part. What is this talking about? I'm glad you asked. Well, let's, let's look at that together now. So, so what's the picture that Peter's painting for us of, of the now and what will be, or now and later? What Peter's saying right now, at this point in time, the revelation we need, the roadmap that is required to get us to our desire, to that right destination, that place where we will hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant, is going to be God's word. We live now in a day, in an age that is stained. It's, it's marred by the effects of sin. We live now in a world that is characterized, as Peter says, by darkness. And we need this. We need our lamp that is a light unto our path as the thing that is going to guide us and shine for us in this dark place. Just as we referenced earlier, as I mentioned briefly, Psalm 119, 105. Where it says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is indeed a lamp in the darkness. It is what guides where we are to place our feet. It is what shines on the narrow path that the Lord has set before us. The light keeps us on the right path. The lamp protects us from those wrong turns that we may be tempted to take. This is the light we need now. Then Peter does something so incredible in pointing to what will be one day. We're told one day, the day will dawn. A moment will finally occur when our Lord and our Savior will return in all of His splendor. We see in Matthew 24, verse 30, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now we await the day when Christ will return. 
we wait for him to return in his great majesty. In explaining this seemingly difficult topic, John MacArthur summarizes it very simply in saying, when the day dawns, Christ will terminate the temporary night of sin and spiritual darkness. When the day dawns, Christ will terminate the temporary night of sin and spiritual darkness. There will no longer be darkness. There will only be light one day. When Christ comes to reign forever, the morning star will rise up in our hearts, meaning we will be transformed perfectly. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We will be restored to the full image of the glory of our Lord. With this coming will bring the ending need of this perfect temporal revelation that God has given us. We will no longer have a need for Scripture at that time because there will no longer be darkness. It will be the end of our need for that which has been a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. The written word of God will have been fulfilled in its entirety. And the perfect word of the Lord will forevermore be on our hearts of the perfected saints one day when we return with our Lord. There will be no more need for that which has been the light because the perfect, unending light will have come and all of darkness will flee. That is what Peter points to. That is what we are promised, that one day all of that darkness will flee. This past Wednesday evening, many of the members of our congregation spent some time at Linder Farms. And it was so much fun to have a total of 68 of us gathered there for just a great time of fellowship. And after we got started, we broke into our smaller groups. And for the youth ministry, we broke up into our groups of guys and our girls. And as soon as we were broken up, we were all off in different directions, enjoying all that there was for us to do. And part of the fun at Linder Farms is their corn maze. And after breaking up into our groups, the gentlemen, the the young guys decided we want to go do the corn maze first. That's going to be our first stop. And as we entered that corn maze, there was plenty of light. Plenty of light, and they even had a generator running additional lights at the entrance of the corn maze. But something happens between 7 and 7, 10 p.m. where it goes from enough light to pitch darkness. And it does that very, very quickly. And it was actually amazing in that corn maze to see how dark it was. It was the kind of dark where if you kind of wave your hand in front of your face, you're not going to see your hand because there's these tall corn stalks and there's no lights anywhere around you. It's just darkness. And this was especially worrisome to someone who was supposed to be an adult leader because the terrain inside of a corn maze is not exactly safe, right? There's all these divots from the ways in which they water their field. There's, there's these bumps and these ruts that are, are just coming about because of foot traffic that's been going through the maze. It was so hard to see the many dangers that were in our path on the way to our destination. And as we were progressing, at at one point, Tom Norris did something great. He brought out his cell phone and started using the flashlight. And what was amazing to see is how brightly that shone in that darkness. 
And as the light shone, uh, maybe it was just me, but it seemed like all of us kind of clung close to that light. I see some of the junior high and high school guys laughing, so maybe it was just me. But, but we clung and held tightly to that light because for the first time since 708, we could see our roadmap. We could see the maze map. And it was because of this light that we were able to eventually make it to our destination. We were able to find our way out of the maze because we had that bright light shining in a dark place. Friends, when we are lost in the darkness, how much more precious is that light that we can cling to? How much more do we recognize the need for the light unto our path? We must cling to, we must cherish, we must love and hold fast to the Word of God. We must pay attention well to that lamp that lights the way before us. Friends, we must know its contents. And may the contents of the Lord's revelation not just build up knowledge in our heads, but may it transform our hearts. And may it conform us more and more every single day to the image of God. We should follow the light because, third, the Word of God is a light source to act upon. This morning, we've taken time to explore Peter's second letter. We've clearly seen what was important to him in his final days here on this earth. Peter desired that his brothers and his sisters would be well equipped for the road ahead of them. That these men and women would serve the Lord out of their great love for him and because of what he had done. That the church would be assured of what they have been taught. That they may know what they have, the word of God, is more sure than any man's personal experience. And that the word of God is what they need in order to be saved. It is what they need in order to live a life that is honoring to the Lord. And it is the word of God that must be their guiding light. It is the word of God that must be our guiding light. Just because you have a map does not guarantee that you will make it to the correct or the desired destination. If you do desire one day to hear the Lord say that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, you can't just pick any map and run with it. You can't solely rely on your own personal experience. You can't solely rely on the personal stories of another. For it is far too easy, friends, to be led astray. You must rely on the one assured map, the one assured source of light that will never lead you astray. Today, we we must take to heart what Peter has said. We must take to heart the argument he is making here in the passage. First, that the Word of God is an assured source of light. We know that we can follow and trust that which is read in the Word of God. Peter explained it clearly. The Word of God is even more sure than the experience of the apostles. Even more sure than the experience of any man. When we seek counsel, when we make decisions, this, this doesn't mean that we have to ignore the wisdom that others share with us. But it means we do need to be constantly going back to Scripture, just like the Bereans did. Even if it sounds pleasing to our ears, we must return to God's Word to make sure it is so. This must be the final authority. 
Second, the Word of God is an authoritative source of light. And the reason we can go to the Holy Word, the very reason we can be assured of its accuracy is because of who the author is. Though the Lord, by His divine providence, used human authors, we know that no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man. Rather, it was men speaking from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We can trust in the Word of God because it doesn't find its authority in humanity. Rather, the very authority of Scripture rests upon our Lord and upon our Savior. We can rest assured that our light source is the only one that will never err, that will never be mistaken, that will never lead us astray. And third, we learn that the Word of God is a light source to act upon. Peter doesn't share all these truths just so that we may gain more knowledge, but so rather our hearts may be transformed and that we would be equipped as saints to act. That his brothers and sisters then and we now would pay attention to that lamp shining in a dark place. As we go from here this morning, may we not go equipped with more information, but may we go prepared and equipped to put into action what Peter has called us to. May we know the Scripture, not just for the purpose of accumulating knowledge, but with the desire of our hearts being transformed. These Bibles that we have, Bibles that we can even pull up on a phone. We have to know them because they contain in them what we need to know in order to be saved, in order to live the Christian life. And may we hold fast to the word of the Lord. May this be our map as we are on our way to that desired destination. For it is the only map that is going to get us there. At all times, in all seasons, in every situation, brothers and sisters, may we follow the light.